0: Well, welcome back to another episode of Conversations and Connections. And as always, this is the official podcast of the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the Prevention Coordinator for the agency. And today, uh, our guest on the podcast is our staff attorney, Charlie Lewis. And uh, it's been... I've uh, it, it's been a while. I've I've asked Charlie a while back to come onto the program, and Charlie's finally got some time to uh, to do this. So we're going to talk to Charlie today, just about what he does for the agency and some of the services that he provides. Uh, Charlie, thank you so much. Thank you for, for having be- me for being here. Um, do you know Do you know many agencies like ours who have their own attorney on staff?
1: I would say it's fairly uncommon, uh, particularly in rural areas. Uh, I've went to trainings, big nationwide trainings, where there are employees from other domestic violence, sexual assault, rape crisis center-type agencies, and very few seem to have their own attorney on staff, and like I said, particularly a rural area.
0: Sure, sure. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure a lot of places probably do have an attorney Or I may be wrong. I would think maybe they do have a attorney that they can refer their clients to, possibly. Yes.
1: So um, throughout the state of Texas, there are many legal aid organizations, and that's probably where the bulk of referrals from DV and sexual assault agencies are going to. So for instance, in our area, there's Lone Star Legal Aid. They kind of serve the eastern portion of the state, Deep East Texas. Houston area, Tyler Longview. Um, So that's where the bulk of referrals would go to over here. Um, There's also Rio Grande Legal Aid in the central part of the state, Northwest Legal Aid uh, in that area. So these general legal aid organizations are probably going to get the bulk of the referrals from domestic violence, SA, uh, rape crisis center type agencies. Okay, okay.
0: Uh, So as a staff attorney for our clients. And
1: this may be a rather broad question, but what types of services do you provide for the clients? So basically my services consist of representation and education. Uh, many times we'll have clients come to the agency that have already went through the court process, um, family court in particular. They have orders, and those orders can be 50 pages long. They have already been through court, but they can't even interpret what's already happened. Uh, So I can often give them advice on how to interpret their orders. Um, Then some clients that have just came to us and haven't been through that process where they need a divorce or need uh, custody or need to apply for a protective order, uh, I'm able to offer uh, representation to them on a case by case basis. Okay.
0: And I think it's probably fair to assume that maybe not all of our clients, but a lot of our clients if they come here for or if they become our our client, they may be in situations where they can't afford to hire an attorney. And I think it is important to know that our that your services through the agency are free of charge.
1: Right. Uh, If I take on somebody's case here at the agency, it is completely free of charge. Um, Now, there may be court costs and other things that we have to actively seek funding to cover, Um, but most of what I've done in my time here has been completely free for each of my clients. So, um, and this may be a
0: very simple question, I don't know. Do you, or would there ever be situations where you would represent the agency not necessarily the clients but the but the the family crisis center Uh,
1: short answer no um usually we have an attorney on our board um probably somebody more knowledgeable about (laughs) admin law and things like that than i am right um but my uh main role is to help with direct services with clients And then um, also to uh, provide general advice to to the staff, keep them kind of educated on the family code um, and privileges and confidentiality and and things of that nature.
0: Sure. Well, you know, I guess considering the clients you provide services to and the situations they're involved in, uh, what are some of the challenges that you encounter? And again, you probably do most of your work in family court. Right. Yes. So, are there any, I guess, unique challenges when it comes to dealing with family court?
1: There are quite a few. So, (laughs) when you're working with a generally low income population, uh, you tend to work with some people that can be transient. And if somebody comes into the shelter, for example, and they need a divorce, and they've been separated from their we'll say husband for 3 months now and haven't heard from them or haven't seen them uh they may not actually know where they're at yeah uh you know in any any kind of case you you generally need to give legal notice to the other party and they need to be served with papers and so somebody may come in and um They haven't heard from the guy. They've been here a couple months. They haven't heard from their husband in a couple months, so we're happy that they're safe, but now we don't know where to find them to get that divorce pushed through. Um, So we have to take steps to either publish notice or get that printed in the newspaper, posted to the courthouse, things like that. The the main challenge with survivors uh, in the family court system is expectations. So... When you have somebody that's been abused and went through trauma and they have children with somebody, they expect a certain outcome. Maybe they really don't want that child to have a very ongoing relationship with, with the, the father right. because they've been abused. And so they expect maybe to cut off an abuser altogether. But the Texas Family Code has a set of presumptions or the way things ought to be that challenges that notion without taking a lot of steps to actually prove that domestic violence has occurred. Because not everybody who comes through our door is going to have that protective order. Um, not everybody is going to have the pictures to prove what yeah. what has happened. Okay. Um, and even though testimony is great evidence that, that abuse has occurred, without taking certain extra steps to obtain a protective order, a magistrate's order for emergency protection, or maybe maybe they filed law enforcement reports but there was never a criminal case picked up. So really what they're going on to show their abuse in family court is primary testimony based and a lot of times that's not enough to rebut the presumption in the family code that one parent should be a primary parent um, establish the child's primary residence and the other parent should be awarded a standard possession order and pay child support to the primary parent. So a lot of A lot of parents come in assuming that because they have went through some sort of abuse that um, the party that abused them uh, automatically should be put on supervised visitation, um, all these other things, and um, we always strive for the best outcome for them based on the facts of the case. But they're not automatically entitled to some of the things that they think or some of the things that they've heard from their friends or things right. they've seen on Law & Order. It's very <laughs> different when you get down to the to the nitty-gritty. And um, judges are very hesitant to um, rule against one party being primary and one party having that standard possession order. It's just so rooted in the family code and how things work. And there's a number of ways that, you know, we can show abuse has occurred in in a family law case. Um, But really, I would say protective orders and criminal judgments are the best evidence still. And a lot of our uh, clients... um, May may not qualify for one of those, or maybe they did. You know everything in their power to make law enforcement reports and things like that, but the the criminal justice system just hasn't moved forward on it, so to speak. So then they're they're left with the quandary of do I go ahead and go into the family law case with the criminal stuff pending, or do I wait for the outcome? Yeah. Well, some people can't wait for the outcome because they they need temporary orders in place. They're in the shelter. They need temporary child support if they can possibly get it. Um, dad is looking for the kids, and he's calling the schools all of a sudden. And, you know, with him being a parent, he may be able to withdraw those kids from school, even though kids are staying with mom in the shelter if there's not temporary orders in place or a temporary restraining order in place to prevent them uh-huh. from doing so. So there's a number of ongoing issues that... um come up when we're deciding when and what to do in family court, what to try to resolve. And it all ties in together with everything else that they're working on here at the agency. Are they staying in the safe house or are they outreach? Are they seeing counseling? Is that counselor going to get subpoenaed if their abuser hires another attorney? So there's um there's just a number of challenges that that we encounter here. Yeah. So I guess really
0: it's probably really hard for you, I would think, to have to explain to a client that they may not get an outcome that they want. I mean, I'm sure you've encountered some disappointed clients or maybe even some frustrated or angry clients who are not angry at you, but angry at the system, probably.
1: Well, and I think that's a result of, of the cycle of trauma because they're probably somewhere in that cycle and so when you have to maybe let them down on a certain expectation, then I think it comes with the territory, and I think most attorneys, uh, retainers or agreements for representation include a clause that say we cannot promise a specific outcome, and this work is is no different. Um, There's just so many factors that, that go into it, and you don't know if the other if the other party hires an attorney then you're probably going to get you're probably going to have to give a little more than if they were just representing yeah. themselves pro se yeah and you know the other the other challenge that i see particularly with the the custody stuff is there's kind of a central inquiry as to whether when you abuse a parent is it automatically considered abuse to that child so if you've harmed the parent but you've been What some people would consider, uh, can you be a model parent if you're abusing the other parent, even if you're not laying a hand on the child? And our agency's position to that would be no. You can't be a model parent.
0: Well, you would think if a parent is abusive to their spouse, they may not be physically abusive to that child. But obviously, if that child is witness to that, it it does affect them.
1: A hundred percent agreed.
0: And so... I can see the frustration probably in that.
1: Yes, and that, and that has been a frustration of clients in the past. But it doesn't automatically mean a, a judge is going to see it that way. Right. right. And so that's the um, that's the challenge showing the effect on the child can be trickier, more mm-hmm. lengthy, and more expensive than um, than you might think. Yeah. In court.
0: <laughs> right. In the realm of family court and family law and all the things that you deal with and what our clients deal with, is there anything that you can't – is there any situation that where you can't represent the client or that you feel like you shouldn't, if that makes sense?
1: Sure. Sure. Um... So just in the realm of family law, if CPS has done a removal from the parents and one of the parents is working with us, um, we generally don't intervene in that. And um, to that effect, if, if there's been a removal by CPS, they're supposed to appoint them an attorney ad litem anyways. Um, so they, they should be appointed one in that situation. Um, but as far as our legal services here at the agency, we really do keep it to, to family law, which is mostly divorce custody, Mm -hmm. uh, protective orders, and termination of parental rights in some uh, Mm -hmm. particular instances. We don't help them with criminal defense, uh, debt collection, things like that. Um, And we see people come in with a lot of other extraneous legal issues um, that we don't offer representation for. Uh, We will do some landlord-tenant law because there are a lot of domestic violence tie-ins to Mm -hmm. that section of the law okay
0: all right so charlie how did you find yourself here at the agency what what made you decide to uh um there's a job opening for a staff attorney what made you to uh decide to come and uh, apply for that
1: and Sure. It was just kind of the right place at the right time kind of thing. Um, I was living in uh, Austin uh, back in 2017 uh, doing document review contract attorney work, which is, I kind of describe that as work that attorneys do part-time or just when they're in between full-time yeah. gigs, uh, something to earn a paycheck, and um, I was considering moving back to to Lufkin And I just happened to be browsing um, (laughs) Indeed.com one day, and um, I had saw a position was open at the thrift store for a cashier or a sorter or something like that, and uh, I had a friend who was looking for a a job, just something in retail, and so I went to the website and I pulled up the posting for that, and I was going to print it off for him, and then all of a sudden I see that there's an opening for an attorney. Oh, wow. So this okay. was not something that was <laughs> You weren't actively
0: looking for um, yeah, I was, that here, I guess.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I did not know that was open here, yeah. so it was kind of fate. And when I saw that <laughs> and I saw the job description, um, I decided to drive over to the, the agency's office, and uh, I visited with the operations director at the time, um, who's going to be our executive director here pretty soon, and um, the rest just kind of fell into place. It just felt right. Um, I interviewed as a very quick person, process and it was just the right place at the right time.
0: So you're originally from, are you originally from here? in Yes, Lufkin?
1: I grew up in Lufkin, graduated from Lufkin High School, and I've lived here about two-thirds of my life. Okay,
0: okay. And you said you were living in Austin. Uh, I'm going to, well, I'm not, gonna, okay. I know, but, but for the podcast's sake, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that you went to Ut.
1: I did. I did go to the <laughs> University of Texas. Okay, <laughs> so
0: that's where you got your my, law degree. Uh,
1: that's where I got my bachelor's degree. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, for law school, I went out of state uh, to Michigan State University. That's right. I
0: think I remember. I remember. I think I remember you now talking about that.
1: So yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's been a long
0: road back home. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Everybody has their own reason for getting into your your line of work. Doing what you do now, what do you find rewarding about this
1: type of work? Well, I'll put it this way. Usually when somebody makes their way to me, I am their last line of defense. I'm their last hope to get this kind of matter resolved. They usually don't have money they don't have the resources they've applied for other legal aid or looked for pro bono help and they can't find it. Okay. So for me being able to be, you know, kind of like their their last line of defense, their last hope and to get yep. them that result that that they want or at least a generally good result yeah. is very rewarding because a I know that, you know, I'm keeping them safe and moving them forward and getting them out of out of trauma and b I know that if it wasn't for me then they probably wouldn't be getting out of that situation. So, I mean, that's very rewarding because they need the help.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And um, if I'm the only one that can help them, then that's what I'm going to do. I would think also maybe
0: the majority of our clients, when they come here and they become a client, they may not even know. I mean, they may be very – pleasantly surprised that we do have an attorney here that can help them, because that may be one of their worries. Okay, I'm a client now here at the Family Crisis Center, but now I have all these legal issues. How in the world am I going to afford an attorney, or maybe they can help me pay for one, and we tell them, oh, we have an attorney on staff that can help
1: you. Sure. Yeah, that is a pleasant surprise for many of them. And in order to to kind of work legal services with them, we want the clients to be engaging in other things too. Usually we encourage counseling. We encourage them to uh, apply for legal aid first before I I potentially take the case. Oh,
0: okay. And we
1: make assessments and things like that. Um, I feel like if... um, word got out that there may be like a free custody attorney in town. People may be sure be uh, knocking down the doors. So we do want to verify that they're working other services with the agency and verify what kind of abuse it is and make mm-hmm. an assessment of how we think we can help them Right um, before we commit to full out representation.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Charlie. I appreciate this. This has been uh, very educational. I've learned some things. And again, I appreciate you taking some time to, uh, to come over here and do this.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks right. for having me.
0: Thanks, Charlie. All right, Charlie Lewis, uh, again, our staff attorney here at the Family Crisis Center. And again, I do want to remind you if you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can email us at conversationsandconnections at And also want to remind you, if you feel like you need our services for any situation uh, regarding uh, domestic violence, sexual assault issues, uh, you can give us a call. We do have a a 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week toll-free hotline. That number is 1-800-828-7233. Again, 1-800-828-7233. And remember, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else.